Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. How do you get supporters of Donald Trump and Joe Biden in the same room, at the same time, working together on politics. You know, Richard, that sounds like some kind of riddle that has to have a funny punchline, but it's actually something we will explore in this show. No funny punchline, simply it's not enough to vote. Richard Young and Megan Gulla of Civic Lex. I remember watching these two people that are politically could not be more different. One is like one of um, one of the foremost activists um, in in our in our community fighting for police accountability, and one was um, a very libertarian, very conservative person, and they connected over municipal funding on the police. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Many of us are doing a lot of yelling these days, whether it's yelling at the TV or watching political candidates hurl insults at each other. It's all toxic. In many ways, the 2020 campaign has been disturbing and disempowering. So let's talk about something better, a local effort to improve the way we talk about politics, the way we democratize access to power and seek solutions to real problems. Civic Lex is based in Lexington, Kentucky. It's a nonprofit civic education organization that focuses on bringing daylight to the issues, policies and procedures that impact local people. You know, I love that word procedures, Jim. We're going under the hood. And also this episode is one of several made with a grant from Solutions Journalism Network. An organization that we've been so involved with over several years and really worth your interest and support. Our guests are Richard Young and Megan Gulla of Civic Lex. They join us from Lexington, Kentucky. And thanks for being on How Do We Fix It? Thanks for having us. Thank you. Just to get us started, let's just begin with what is Civic Lex? What does it do? How does it work? Sure. Yeah. So we like to talk about our work as uh, sort of at the end of the day, civic education. But really, at the end of the day, it's just about helping folks understand what's happening in our city and how to get involved and make their voice heard in that process. And Richard, you have three basic missions that are really the core goals of your work. Yeah, so improving access to information about how the city of Lexington works, um, changing the processes that govern how our city interacts with its residents, 
And then really the sort of core, I feel like at the, at, at the end of the day of our work is really about democratizing who has relationships with people in city government that have political power. We think that a lot of the ways that, that we can change our city government into a government that's really responsive to folks is by really changing who has relationships with that government. Why are you personally passionate about this work? And I guess, why, why do you think it's important? Why do you think you're making a difference? Sure. Um, I think for me, I realized that the easiest way and the most effective way to make change is through you know, city government and local government um, and getting to know those processes and getting involved with them. Um, and then I realized you know, at the same time that a lot of people don't know anything about local government and don't know how to contact their representatives, don't know how to get involved in those processes. So I really wanted to get involved in educating people and giving people tools to do that themselves um, and also myself. You know, I think that there's this very old thinking about like, well, residents elect their council and their council members represent them in city government. And that is the representation in city government is our council. Um, and I think we're starting to move a little bit more towards more of a direct democracy approach. There are some council members that have expressed interest in participatory budgeting uh, pilot programs with us. And, you know, we've started to have conversations about that over the past year. So, you know, I'm encouraged in that. And I think the way that we can make a difference is by really showing residents that when they do engage, it is transformative and does do what they want it to do, even if, even if it's not perfect. Megan, can you give us... Just to get a little bit more concrete, can you walk us through kind of a typical project or something that Civic Lex has done to give people an idea how the whole thing works? Yeah, sure. Um, one of our, our main projects is our budget guide and with our budget workshops that we do in a typical year, not in a COVID year. We would get the city budget as it's being worked on by council. We would get the draft of it and put our budget guide together put that online. Um, and then, so we would invite people, um, invite community members in um, to talk about the budget pretty much to learn how it's created by city council, to learn what's in it. And then we talk about how to get involved in that process, who to talk to. And in those meetings, we also try to have council members. Um, we had um, the chair of the budget finance and economic development um, committee um, in the meetings with us too. So people had a chance to, you know, speak directly to the people who are part of that process. Do you think that the local officials appreciate having this help explaining this or would they rather keep the whole budget process in kind of a black box without a lot of, you know, interference from the, uh, from the public? Yeah. Yeah. Why does, why doesn't everybody just shut up and go away? <laughs> there might be a couple that say that, but I think for the most part, um, I think city government um, and the people involved in making these decisions and, and putting these documents out um, appreciate our work. We've had a lot of really good feedback from local government on just saying, you know, thank you for doing this work. And, and we really appreciate this. And it, it helps us understand it better. Um, really, like a lot of people on council, like don't themselves, like they don't look at the document as closely as we do. So they're learning from from what we're doing as well, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. I, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, the, the feedback that we hear from council members um, is that this is actually more of a comprehensive look than, than they have because they, you know, break up into committees and examine one piece of the budget. And then also it's, it's a, a different way of talking about the budget. Um, you know, normally resident input happens right at the very end, right before that budget uh, passes or doesn't pass city council. 
But what we instead do is we actually look at it all year. We have budget workshops throughout the year that um, that focus on how the sort of allocations and appropriations inside the city budget match up to the values that we have as residents. While, while you were talking, Richard, there was a barking dog in the background, and I'm happy to report that this time, at least, it isn't ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be... Um, I've actually had this wild dog incident over here that I can get in, get into later, uh, but yeah, that would probably be my dog. <laughs> well, Megan, tell us a little bit about Lexington. I mean, what kind of city is it? What are the issues that, that you're confronting and that, that your organization can help make a difference with? Mm-hmm. We're... Um, regarded as a university city. So we share that um, with a few other sort of like mid-sized towns, um, but we're growing now. Um, Our major issues right now, just because of the growth that we're seeing, um, are housing pretty much. I think that's one thing. And then we also, um, we have an urban service boundary or a growth boundary. Um, So that limits where new development can be built. There's pretty much like a ring around the city of where new housing, businesses, things like that can be built in the city. The demand on housing has increased, housing prices have gone up, and that's resulted in some gentrification issues, just some displacement issues over time in the last 10 years. Um, so we're dealing with that now. How do we build more affordable housing? How do we keep residents you know, in the neighborhoods they want to stay in? We're also seeing budget shortages. They were already predicted before COVID, and COVID has made that worse. Nationally, our politics are, are deeply divided, and and many people would say, and I guess I'm among them, that our deep partisan divisions are holding up constructive change. How does Civic Lex help in reducing the divide and getting people of different points of view to not only speak with each other, but maybe even also respect each other? Richard? Yeah, so... In Lexington, we have a couple of advantages, I think, going into this. So one, our government is nonpartisan. Um, So we don't have um, uh, political parties to deal with at the local level. Obviously, we have um, political parties at our state level. um, But locally, that's not something that we have to deal with. So that immediately really diffuses, I think, a lot of our partisanship. And then I think our size is very helpful because of that size it's easier to sort of build the connective tissue uh, and the relationships between people um, because people see each other a little bit more as neighbors. But what we do as an organization is really focus in on the issues that are impacting people's lives and bringing people together in a room in physical space, obviously not during COVID to actually see each other and, and to see the actual very visceral impact when people talk about these issues impacting them. I think so often now we are experiencing politics on social media. And so, you know, it's really dehumanizing and it really pulls you out of that ability to connect with someone. Whereas connecting with someone face-to-face, even if it's on Zoom, you start to see how those issues actually impact people um, and how it dramatically shapes people's lives. And so I think that because we're focusing on local issues, because we're bringing people together in physical space, and because of the sort of inbuilt advantages we have in our city, we're able to have conversations that I think don't traditionally take place in, in dialogue around politics. One of the things we look at a lot at How Do We Fix It is how do we enable healthier conversations between people who might really disagree on fundamental issues And as you say, if they encounter each other on social media, it might get really heated and ugly quickly. Do you have any tools or any tips on how do you 
kind of nudge these relationships and conversations in, in the right direction? So that's a really great question. A couple things. So one, it really helps to tie it to something that's very specific. An example of that to me is is actually in the budget work that, that Megan was talking about earlier. I remember watching these two people that are politically could not be more different. One is like one of um, one of the foremost activists um, in in our in our community fighting for police accountability. And one was um, a very libertarian, very conservative person. And they connected over municipal funding on the police. And this is before the sort of defund the police conversations, you know, broke out nationally. Um, but they connected over this specific issue. And I think that this person that was approaching it from a very conservative perspective saw the impact that um, that their over-policing and under-resourcing of, of this activist community had. And then I think this activist also understood where this other person was coming from based on their sort of um, issues that they have with government spending. And so it's this really rare point of connection, but it's because it was over a very concrete thing. Do you think that language, that how we frame issues matters, how we speak about things? Yes, I think it does. I think a lot is in the language, but I think a lot of that language is really wrapped up in sort of the idea of power. Because I think what, what happens is a lot of times folks in city government or folks that are involved in politics, often when people come to meetings and don't express themselves in a way that agrees with what their standard is, they look down on them. And then a lot of times when people that don't have a lot of experience with civic life or politics in a very formalized way come into these conversations and policymakers are talking in very complicated and academic terms, I think they think that they're being elitist and trying to hide things from them. And so one of the things that we really do in our work is when people come into one of our workshops or come into one of our spaces, we really try and equalize that playing field. We want council members and policymakers to come in and listen and not be there to express any sort of expertise. And so a lot of that is really in how we facilitate these conversations. It is a very intentional way that we facilitate and has taken a lot of time to develop to get to this, to get to this point. But we find it to be really effective in defusing a lot of that tension and, and aggression. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And we're speaking with Richard Young and Megan Gullah of Civic Lex in Lexington, Kentucky. And just one more thing about this show, it's funded with a grant from Solutions Journalism Network. And now back to our interview. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Some of the things that, that 
Civic Lex does fall in the realm a little bit of journalism. I mean, you're informing people about how the budget process works and other things that traditionally local newspapers did. And you're lucky, unlike a lot of smaller cities, you do have a local paper that I know you work closely with. The Lexington Herald Leader recently won a grant to host a series of community workshops, and and you're involved with it. What is what is your role? So it, it's taken us a little bit of time to roll out, but we're kind of in the early stages of that now. Um, but it is really designed to bring together um, the sort of community workshop styles that we have with the sort of hard journalism that the Herald Leader practices. And now we've also brought in a couple other really wonderful um, sort of civic media partners here in Lexington, uh, Key News Journal, which um, is a sort of historically African-American um, news outlet here in, in Lexington, and then um, Radio Lex, which is a community radio station that broadcasts both in English and Spanish. And so because of COVID, we've had to sort of retool this. So instead of really being focused on the journalism side, we're, we're actually wanting to focus a little bit more on the editorial side. Um, so we're, we're um, highlighting voices from community members across Lexington that have dealt with um, issues of racial justice. Um, we really wanted to retool this grant to be specifically focused on this moment and what's happening right now in our, in our city. Um, Megan, do you want to talk a little bit about the sort of mayor's commission and how we're, how we're um, focusing on this? Mm-hmm, sure. Um, so with the, you know, like everything that's happened, a lot of the protests um, that have happened around you know, Breonna Taylor and everything we've been, been experiencing um, over this year, sort of starting in the spring, um, our our city um, and our mayor, Linda Gorton, um, put together a commission for racial justice and equality. Um, so we asked you know people who were directly impacted by those issues to write in and either you know tell us about those issues or you know write write an opinion opinion piece about those issues, um, and they will run in the Herald Leader, um, you know, on the days that those the topic is is featured. So we'll have a series of editorial takeovers, and then also um, those stories and opinion pieces will be published in the King's Journal, and then um, we'll broadcast conversations if the writers are comfortable with it, um, sort of a roundtable discussion about those topics um, on Radio Lex. So it's sort of like a partnership, a whole lot of like multimedia kind of um, endeavor that we're really excited about. Yeah, I was going to ask you about racial injustice and the uh, the peaceful street protests that you've had in Lexington, along with many other cities across the country. Have they changed the conversation? Um, have they inflamed the conversation or perhaps brought people of different viewpoints and and races together in a way that we haven't seen before? I think they've definitely, you know, there have been protests. um, um, It's a continuing, you know, sort of conversation. Um, I know there's there's been a lot of criticism of the police, a lot of criticism with the mayor's, um, you know, administration and just the handling of it. And ha- has Civic Lex, you know, got involved in that? Has have have they? Has your organization helped in a way to facilitate conversations? So one, I think that this um, project with the Herald Leader is designed exactly to do that, right? One of the things that we really wanted to do is uplift the voice of voices of those that have been directly impacted by these issues. So you know, part of this for us is not only are we recruiting these folks um, to to um, run op eds, but we're paying them to run op eds, and we're sending them through coaching with the editor of the Herald Leader. So they're going to have the sort of training to, to, to put into words a lot of the, a lot of the things that, that um, are happening in, the, in, in their community in a way that I think 
you know, that the Herald leader will run, right? And I think that that is, um, that that is the beginning of a conversation. Um, and it definitely is not anyway near, um, anywhere near the role that I feel like they need to play and that we need to play in this moment. Um, but then I also think that I've heard from a lot of folks um, in that are that are at the protests, and you know, Megan and I have both been at them um, as well. Um, is that the, a lot of the resources that that we've provided at Civic Lux has actually helped? Um, I know that um, specifically when we were when when they were calling for um, changes to how we fund the police department here in Lexington, our budget guide and the resources that we developed are something that I see pop up all over the place, and so. At the end of the day, one of the main one of the main sort of vision for our organization is essentially providing the resources that our community needs to shape where it, you know where people live. So I've heard there is an election coming up in a in a few weeks. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but um, I wasn't aware. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you do a lot about voting and access to the polling places and all that. How is that going? And and how do you see this election rolling out on your local level? We'll uh, see. You know? <laughs> ah, everyone's very nervous. <laughs> yeah, we do have, you know, mail-in voting, early voting. We have day of voting. There are six polling places that are open. Um, so we do have you know, Lexingtonians do have the option of going in person either early or day of. We just try to provide as much information as we can and to keep our information up to date and correct. You know, obviously, there's a lot of attention focused on the on the national ticket and the, and the very top um, of of the ballot this year. Um, but here um, in in at Civic Lex, we like to really focus on the down ballot races. Um, so we um, we do a lot of work around council races specifically, as well as some of the other sort of lesser races like constable, um, soil water conservation specialists, all these very um, you know specific things. But for council candidates, what we do is um, we're we're hosting a, a series of forums for every um, competitive and non-competitive race that's happening uh, on, on, on the ticket. And we're, you know, inviting um, council members to come and have a very uh, sort of uh, civil forum and civil dialogue about the issues that are impacting our community. But one of the things that I think is really important is that we're taking questions directly from residents and asking them verbatim. You know, when, when a resident hears a council candidate respond authentically to their, their question, that is like a little bit of connective tissue that starts to build the uh, the sort of fabric that holds together uh, a relationship and really strengthens our democracy at the end of the day. You know, when we first decided we really wanted to speak with you about the work of Civic Lex, um, I came up with a title for the episode, which is It's Not Enough to Vote. Do you agree with that? Do you think that that we just need to do more than simply urge people to vote in the election? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was another reason why um, why I really wanted to get involved with Civic Lex is that, like for myself, like personally, I believe, you know, like democratic practice, like it's a practice. It's something that you have to do, you know, every day or it's not, it's at least something you don't do every four years. Um, you know, we have to be informed and involved in this process. Your organization is not only nonpartisan, but you, you want everyone to feel they have a seat at the digital table that you set up or the different programs that you do. You want people to feel welcome regardless of their ideological slant. 
Is that hard sometimes? I mean, you must have your own political views and passions. And uh, do you do you sometimes struggle a little bit with how to to keep your own personal politics out of the organization and use it as a as a like a platform that facilitates uh, democracy, even maybe with ideas that you don't agree with? Yes, I think that's hard. Um, you know, I think one of the really big issues is that ultimately, like participating in democracy has become a political position. When we're having conversations about um, voter suppression, or having conversations about these issues about who can and cannot participate in civic life, um, you know, those those are the places for us where things get really, really murky um, about where we can and cannot advocate for things that either we personally believe or our organization believes. And so that's kind of a constantly evolving thing, just like cities all across the country, is that anytime we have a public comment over Zoom um, for our city meetings, it gets invaded by like white supremacists and racist, racist trolls. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there was one very prominent incident that happened earlier in the summer where um, people came on to uh, public comment and were reading, um, uh, reading aloud the addresses of our council members um, particularly the council members of color and the female council members, and we're talking about coming to their houses. That caused uh, the city to cancel public comment entirely. And so we haven't had public comment in our meetings. But at the end of the day, we want to get more people involved in the process. And sometimes that means taking a partisan position, right? Like we want more expanded access to voting. That is a political issue these days. And that is something where we as an organization have to make sort of a statement on that. Um, but in terms of like letting our personal politics about, you know, the big national issues uh, invade, I feel like we try and really maintain a, a wall. And I think part of that is in who we have on our board. And part of that is in the fact that, again, we don't have to deal with um, with political parties at the local level. Um, and Megan, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this as well. So I kind of want to toss it over to you. I think it is difficult. Um, what we do isn't really advocacy. Um, it's just providing information and providing education. So you can do what you will, you know, with the information that we provide. But um, it's that's I think that's one sort of stopgap, at least for you know for like keeping ourselves as as you know like neutral as we can, and we try our best to to just stay out of the you know out of the debate that forms around them. Are you hopeful? that you can continue to make a difference? And, and if so, if the answer is yes, and I suspect it is, um, uh, what areas are you most uh, encouraged by? Yes, I think that, that, that we are, I think we're making a, a significant impact in, in, uh, in our city. And I think that, I, I mean, I am seeing, I was in a committee meeting earlier today where um, we ha- uh, that was talking about infill and redevelopment in our city and we had a 25 minute conversation about civic education and one that I did not bring up, <laughs> which is wild. And, you know, it's something our city is talking about. It's like, how are we engaging residents in a way that they can actually understand it? And I think that it, that I am seeing a shift in how our government has operated over the past few years in that it is starting to move into this place where they're thinking about residents engagement first and not last. Megan, what do you think? Yeah, I would say I'm hopeful as well, like guarded, hopeful, <laughs> depending on what, what happens in the next few months. Um, but I think like for me, I'm really excited about um, just as we, if we continue to grow, which it seems like we 
we will be um, you know, continuing to do. Um, I really want to start working more with the universities in Lexington, like the community college as well. Um, and even high school, we had some programs um, with some high school students um, and I think maybe middle school students as, you know, before COVID started. Um, I'm starting to do that educational work at an earlier age. Um, so really like intentionally working with students to get them on board, you know, with these practices. So they take them you know, into their adulthood and it's just part of their life. Um, so we don't have to re-educate or you know, like start from scratch with adults. It's just ingrained in, in who they are as as residents of the city. So I'm I'm hoping we'll be able to do a lot of that work in the future. And I think that's super hopeful. I'm I'm very excited about like the people in high school and middle school um, and their you know passion and commitment to what they care about. I'm happy to work with them. <laughs> Thank you, Richard and Megan of Civic Lex. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. It was really great. Much appreciated. Richard, I believe you're on deck with a recommendation this week. Yeah, it's a podcast, Jim. It's called Hope Through History, uh, and it's pretty new. It's introduced by John Meacham, uh, the well-known writer and historian, and it's about different examples of strong leadership in times of crisis. Even though many of these episodes in history may be well-known to our listeners, uh, Meacham takes an unusual uh, approach to it. And I've learned some things that I really didn't know before. That sounds great. Civic Lex, what an interesting, cool organization. You know, we talk a lot on this podcast, Richard, about the importance of things happening at the local level and people getting involved in the things that matter in their communities and building relationships in the community. I worry a lot that too much of our politics has become nationalized and everybody just focuses on what happens in the White House, what happens in the Supreme Court. But really, so much of what really makes a difference in people's lives is, is on the local level. I mean, I love the fact that they explain the budget to people, something yeah. so basic. But if you could complain and complain about your city, not picking up the garbage enough or whatever. But boy, what, if you really dig in and see how hard it is to make a coherent budget, you might look at it differently. Absolutely, Jim. I agree that there's way too much talk about the circus of Washington from the personalities of the big players to the most heated issues nationwide. And it doesn't leave any room for us citizens to get involved. And that's why I think that if we're going to have any progress in repairing our fractured and rather weakened democracy, that it has to begin with grassroots efforts like this one on the local level. Also, we're seeing such a collapse of local journalism. It's a really a heartbreaking thing that's happened in our media culture. And without those local papers there to do it, it the governments, there's research on this. They, they, they aren't as effective and they, they don't care as much about what the 
you know, about serving the public if they don't think the public's going to find out about stuff. Another area that's really problematic is the decline in civics education in schools. Um, that definitely needs to be revived, and hopefully we'll do a, do a show on that in the yeah, future. Yeah, that, that would be a great, that'd be a whole show. I mean, this is something that I think both liberals and conservatives, I would hope, agree on, is that, you know, you can't really advocate for change if you have no idea how your own government works. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our producer is Miranda Schaefer. This show is a production of Davies Content. We're a podcasting outfit, consultants, who can help you make your podcast. Check out more at DaviesContent.com. And thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. 